Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. As you may know, since 2016, we've been tirelessly dissecting, discussing, researching and celebrating the work of Alan Gordon Partridge. And we're fast approaching the milestone of 100 episodes. If you've been enjoying the pod, we've set up a Kofi page where you can show your appreciation and buy me or us a coffee. All you need to do is go to co-fee.com forward slash monkey tennis. So that's ko-fi.com forward slash monkey tennis. If you've enjoyed listening and you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider buying us a coffee, Kenko or Flavia. It'll help us to continue to rake through Alan's past and future output. Nothing changes with the podcast. It's simply a way for you to show your support for the cream of our discharge. So thank you, and very thank you. Now, on with Series 9 of Monkey Tennis. Welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing You. Knowing me, Alan Partridge. Knowing you, the audience. I've got a hit on my hands. Monkey tennis? Is that good therapy or balmy old cack? Conrad Knight's Monkey tennis? I'm Alan Partridge. Why are you such a kid? Lots of meaty chat. Monkey tennis? I just want you to admit that you hate less tennis. What is it? What is it? What is it? Monkey tennis? Okay, I'm in Manhattan. What do I do now? You are a little shit. Monkey tennis? That in England is a whore. I've taken drugs. Lord Morgan. If you speak again, I will. Hit you. And on that bombshell, monkey tennis. Thank goodness it's radio. I never thought I'd say that. Hello, fellow fans of Partridge, and welcome once again to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, where we're currently trawling our way through Knowing Me, Knowing You, the radio series. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Okay, I'm outside Bloomingdale's. What next? What do I do now? Nick Alder. 
in his hands, the essentially complex becomes inordinately simplistic. And Tom Stab. Nobody listens to Radio 4. <laughs> so, welcome, welcome. Uh, much as Alan mangles the word welcome, does he think that gives him some gravity? Is he trying to be more Wogan-esque by saying, welcome? He's done this welcome. before, hasn't he? He's done welcome before, he, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird quirk, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Certainly since. Uh, welcome. And he then exclaims, I've got hit on my hands. Uh, and this mirrors the... Uh, the Silent stuff- S. Yeah, this mirrors the stuff we see in Know Me, Knowing You TV, where he basically opens with references to reviews and ratings of his own show. Uh, and we know that that in itself is a bit of a reference to Noel Edmonds. Got a bad review in a listings magazine or a newspaper, I think, and he took issue with it in the episode itself. It was from The Times. It was someone... Mm. From, yeah, it, mm. I forget the name of the journalist, but he said the name of the journalist from Behind The Times. Alan. Oh, yeah. Is this Alan. moribund? Mm. Uh, and he says uh, he's got hits on his hands according to the New Statesman and Society. I presume they just had to add the word society to to make sure that everybody knew it wasn't the actual New Statesman. No, no, no. Um, it was actually, for a brief period, it was actually called um, New Statesman in Society. Oh, so ah. you were It to was a, a rebranded a, version. They rebadged it, you fool. Uh, I, then, I thought it was two different sources, though. I think I thought that they were two different things rather than it just being one. So essentially, one source is one, saying... One source. One real yeah. source. Yeah. Uh, it emerges that actually the review was fairly scathing, but just written so intelligently that Alan misses that. Uh, <laughs> of course. Thinking yeah. that making deep subjects sound simple is a good thing. Uh, I like the use of, uh, obviously, uh, the New Statesman, as it is just now, is obviously a liberal, quite uh, progressive political... Uh, uh, position. Uh, the magazine's editor describes it as a publication of the left for the left. So it's very much a Coogan yes, Alan no. Got it. Uh, there's a reference to his driver. He says, my driver Colin said, I hope you've got some good guests on tonight. And I said, well, I have. And this is the introduction to them. Uh, Does that suggest that Colin, the driver, doesn't think that the guests thus far have been that good? <laughs> yes. I, yeah. I, I think that's an implication. Well, yeah. I, I think I think firstly, he's made the conversation up. But secondly, <laughs> again, as we've often seen with Alan, even in his made up conversation, his driver didn't like the first show and implies he needs better guests <laughs> to improve it. Oh, but yeah. I think he hasn't made the conversation up if, you, if you're taking the documentary at the end of the series as gospel. Those are the sort of conversations he does have with his driver about yeah true yeah, yeah. Oh, okay fair enough fair enough um so he invites on his first guest nine-year-old child prodigy fellow of oxford university which gets a whoop from the audience simon fisher before we go into that minor detail which i thought was quite funny he said when he says this is the introduction to them and then he actually only lists simon he only introduces one guest <laughs> so you, you, you're kind of led to believe he's going to read off all three people that are going to be on the show but he doesn't he does bring out two guests though it's simon and uh his dad john, john played by david schneider yep um, and Alan is outsmarted on the idea of being unique within four sentences of this <laughs> guest coming out. He also tells Simon the aha is a, not so loud. So that's, that, again, he's put on the back foot with the aha straight mm. away, much like what happened in the previous week as well. Would you say that this is possibly the most iconic guest or section from this series? It would have been difficult to transfer it to TV. I think it's probably, I mean, in my opinion, this is a uh, this is a series highlight or one of the series highlights. So it would have been nice yeah. to transition this to TV, but obviously Dune McCain McKeegan is playing the child Simon, so it, it would have been impossible to transfer to TV. Are you to saying TV. this is one of your favourite guests? Yeah. Oh, right. This was not one of my favourite really? guests. Really? Well, I, I mean, we should probably save this yeah, yeah, yeah. for, for save proper, it. Proper, proper depth, but, but I mean, I mean I th- it's, it's, it's my favourite. <laughs> I think from, from the feedback we got, on socials when we posted about this a lot of people were quoting lines from Simon Fisher the whom um and sort of the this guest is one of the ones that's stuck in people's memories it seems think. to be uh, one of the most quotable and memorable ones I I'd think. certainly agree it's memorable I would argue that perhaps the the novelty of a uh, a, a grown female performer voicing a child mm. 
is the you. sort of joke that works better in 1992. And also it's a thing that obviously works really well on radio. Of like, course. Like yeah. Just saying. Yeah. I like that Alan, uh, Alan sort of humouring uh, Simon to begin with. Simon's obviously a lot of fun. I can see that from his little quips. But when did he first realise that Simon was abnormal? <laughs> this is very much from uh, you know the, the sort of the, the thinking of um, people that need therapy being disturbed. Like yep. people that are very intelligent are abnormal. Yeah, you've got. I, I like the way the script. It's phrases like um, you can see he's a lot of fun, um, abnormal, abnormally gifted. It's Alan hates him basically. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even even saying he's a lot of fun, the implication is through gritted teeth. Yeah, and the implication is he's not a lot of fun. Yeah, he's quite annoying, and yeah. he's 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 a he's a temporary novelty on uh, Alan's life, basically. Yeah, yeah. So when they're talking, uh, then they're talking about the first words, and it's um, things like someone saying, "Whom does Daddy love? Whom, whom?" So he, his first words were correcting his own his own father's speech, uh, and then Alan points out that Fernando's first words were "Daddy," which I somehow prefer, mm. but I somehow don't believe. So do we think... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I see where you're going with yeah. that. Yeah. So do we think um, Simon is possibly based on uh, Lauren Harris, the child prodigy from the late 80s? 100%. Yeah. 100%. So at the time, that was James Harris. Uh, he was about 10 years old when he shot to fame with appearances on Wogan and other chat shows of the late 80s, early 90s. Essentially, he was a schoolboy antiques expert, uh, always seemed to appear on TV wearing a suit and bow tie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Was he a lot of fun? I think so, um, but I mean, this is definitely this is a, a direct. Yeah, the timings out, the timings it? work yeah. exactly, don't yeah. they? Yeah, he says, John, do you ever sit alone at night by the fire with your head in your hands and think to yourself, God have mercy on my soul, I have spawned a monster, I have created Frankenstein. That is brilliant. Uh, and then that gets into a bit that that has ripples throughout the APU, where basically Alan's corrected on the fact that it's uh, the difference between Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. Um, and it, that's a point that Alan then uses as his own to correct other people in future bits of the APU. Uh, okay, that's a good point. Um, and at, at this point, he Alan's pushing back saying, there is, it's a film and it's a certificate X. This is a bit like him with the Sherlock Holmes thing, pushing that Sherlock Holmes was a real person. Yeah, that Moriarty takes him was quite just a helped while to be, by Conan Doyle. To, yeah, yeah, it takes him quite a while to be beaten down to the actual truth of the matter. Um, it doesn't take long for him to, his, his sort of dislike of Simon to descend to the point that he's saying things like, I, Alan Partridge, would like to push you, Simon Fisher, into a very <laughs> deep and disused canal. That is, I love that as well. I love, I love the script here. Um, just before that, I, I thought what was, brilliantly written you have a really long pause and then i'm just saying are you good at sports simon because he's had to think about what can mm. he definitely trump a young child with and it's yeah. the fact that alan is a full-grown adult who's good at sports well it, again it's it's that it's the rug pull where he 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 can see he's beaten so he goes to a territory where he know he will he'll absolutely win yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, such as the impotence claim in the previous episode or yeah. this because uh, obviously you know he knows that that's gonna that's gonna um do simon he really struggled. I mean, in fact, actually, weirdly, there's a sort of uh, a parallel between Alan and Simon and a lot of people in 2020 and Greta Thunberg because uh, you can see Alan really grappling with the fact that he doesn't like, he doesn't ideologically like this kid, but he's also very, very nervous about what he can and can't say in response, how challenging he can be, how rude he can be. And then effectively he just loses control, doesn't he? He says he wants to push him into a canal. And obviously there's a bit of violence coming up as well. And I really enjoy the kind of thread of violence that runs throughout this um, uh, whole series. And I do think there's a couple of things that we sort of lose from Alan um, 
uh, and we'll kind of get to it. But I do think violence is one of them. And there's a there's a thing around smoking and panatellas. I'm sure we'll get to some of this, but I do like that there's a violent thread to Alan's uh, character that we see in this series, but is sort of put to put to bed as it were for for later series that he's, kind of violent side is, is he's definitely got a lot of anger issues the early alan has anger issues yeah and i think anger is maybe something that continues throughout the series but it manifesting in kind of wanting like violence smashing up a box of cereals yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but the, the the kind of the desire to attack people or hit them is something that we see throughout this series there's a nice bit just after that where um there's a, a shakespeare quote and then he uh, tries to kind of one up that by saying actually this quote's better than Shakespeare it's, it's in fact worthy of the great bard yeah <laughs> it's a brilliant character trope that we see where he's intellectually trying to keep up and he's failing whether it's whether it was an author in the previous week whether it's a nine-year-old child this week he's trying to continue the conversation like he knows what they're talking about but we all know obviously we're all in on the joke that Alan's massively out of his depth when he's talking about Shakespeare or Hamlet or whatever it may be. Yeah. And especially when it comes to kind of turns of phrase from from the arts world as well, where they say sort of, have you ever seen Hamlet? Yes. I saw it with Alan Rickman. Who did you see it with? <laughs> My wife, Carol. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> No, good. but who was playing the lead? Hamlet. Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, um, have, oh, I'm sorry. And then, have you seen Citizen Kane? Yes, I watched every episode. Power to the People. He obviously <laughs> mistaken it with Citizen Smith. Um, yes. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. The, uh, the tooting popular front. Yep. Oh yeah. Written by John Sullivan, who created um, Only Fools and Horses. Yeah. Um, and, and finally, Alan's kind of getting quizzed on what he's read and what he's seen, and uh, he's already tried to do that. Are you any good at sport? Uh, and so he falls back on uh, the oldest trick in the book. Uh, Have you got any pubic hair? As he's come back to this <laughs> nine-year-old child, and then I presume—I mean, obviously it's on radio. We're we're led to believe that he then hits the kid, right? Yeah. 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 I think I think the implication is that he. He um, either brushes or, or hits or pushes Simon's shoulder, thinking that there's sort of something on there, and he kind of knocks it right. I don't think so. I think he just literally hits him. Yeah, I think he hits him and then tries I don't to think pretend a... it was uh, an accident. I don't think there's anything subtle about it. I think he literally just smacks him. No, I think it's. I think he's trying to do a puerile, you know, like one of those sort of like, oh, what's that? And then like, yeah, like a flick. flick type yeah, thing. I think he's trying to pretend. Oh, you've got something on your shoulder, and then it turns. Into I think that's a... what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Oh, I see. And then it just sort of turns into a hit. I'm basically saying he thinks he's, he uses an excuse. Oh, you've got something on your shoulder. Slap. But that sounds like a slap on the face, not a slap on the shoulder. A slap on the shoulder would be a bit thuddier, whereas that's like a... Well, I think that that's probably just to make the point on radio, to be totally honest. But are you um, saying you think you think he didn't do it deliberately or he did, he did do it deliberately? He definitely did it deliberately. Yeah. I'm just saying that he did it under the pretense of you have something on your so uh, shoulder. It, there's a similar scene in Forty Towers where he like... Yeah, hit. so it's to try and hide the fact that he basically wants to hit this child. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay I, see, I see what you mean. And he summarises by saying, I've got a bad temper, but you are a little shit. And that said, <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, I love the, the, the switch of tone there. And it's also, this is episode two of the series and he's basically slapped a child. Surely he'd be taken off air immediately after this. There wouldn't be any subsequent episodes. Maybe in think. the 90s, you know, children. Actually, it was probably they, fine. Yeah, it was probably yeah. okay in yeah. the 90s. And we are living in a world where he can later shoot a man and still get a Christmas special, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a very, very good point. I guess it's all tied up with a BBC contract, so yeah. who, are they, who are they to stop it? And this was actually mentioned in Steve Coogan's autobiography where um, he actually received or the BBC received a, a, an actual letter of complaint from someone thinking mm. that this section was real, that uh, Alan was a real chat, chat show host 
and had smacked a uh, a child live on air at, at six thirty. But yeah. we're going to go into more detail in that a little bit later on in the series. Yeah, I think when we get to the Tony Hairs episodes, because there's quite a quite a list of uh, bad things that Alan's done by that point. So yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll come to that in full at the end of the series. I love a little echo of uh, Ghost Watch or War of the Worlds, though, where people have mistaken a radio broadcast yes. or yeah. a TV yeah, broadcast yeah. for the real thing. Um, so he's on to the second guest. Uh, he announces it's a hypnotist. So immediately, I'm obviously curious how this is going to compare to or link with Tony Lamesma in uh, Knowing Me, Knowing You TV, yeah. which uh, it does in a way. Um, he describes his guest as a good old uncle from the good old uncle US of stateside, <laughs> as American as chocolate biscuits and mum's apple tarts instead of cookies and pie, which I thought was really nice. <laughs> Uh, he really, really labours the point of trying to work what's the name of her game into his intro yeah. just to justify the ABBA song that they play when I, the S comes on. I'd not heard that ABBA song before, the name of the game. Did anyone else heard oh, that yeah. before? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's a big hit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, did, I hadn't heard it before. But yeah, it, it's massively shoehorned in, isn't it? Um, also in the introduction, he says, I might end up like one of those zombies from The Living Dead. Now, I was discussing this with Nick that hello, there are uh, two matches for the, the Living Dead as a film from 1932 and 2017. So I'm guessing he actually means Night of the Living Dead. Well, That's a much more the Evil Dead, film. which would have been out around this time, wouldn't it? Uh, evil Dead was earlier than that. Was it? 80s. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I'm a bit stumped as to really what the reference means. Well, I would hope you'd have a basic grasp of zombie chronology, if you're going to work on an Alan Partridge podcast. <laughs> no. Oh, I've got the chronology down. It's just I don't really understand what the well, reference no, I, relates I, I, to. I think zombies. That the thing that he's basically trying to reference a zombie film, but he hasn't properly got a title of any of it right. Mm. Yeah, He's kind of gone with yeah. generic zombie film title of something he's imagined. Yeah. Um, makes sense. That's Jed, Jed, Jed is agreeing and Jed is our zombie expert. <laughs> and so he introduces Janie Katz, a uh, hypnotherapist, not really a hypnotist in the in the light entertainment sense of the word, um, but he does go on to explain that he saw Tony Lemesma, who uh, he was very impressed by and tends to be much more of a hypnotist that does tricks and things, um, yeah. but that Tony was too popular, so she's very much the plan B. <laughs> yeah, he's very popular. He's booked right through to next summer. I'm unavailable, hence your good self. Yeah. Yeah, and I like there is a payoff that obviously he was available when it went to TV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he also he, he describes, uh, I thought this is, um, in my note, this is not very 2020 when he's describing Janie. She's not a tart, she's a lady hypnotist with a set of pins that will hypnotize any bloke. I don't think you could uh, tee up a guest like that anymore, could you? Absolutely not. Um, so yeah. Um, also, I don't, I can't remember the context of this, but I just thought it was interesting that he pronounces the performer's name Billy Joel. Um, oh yeah, yeah. What, in, a, in, a, in a term like a sort of Draclea or yeah. you know Nesquilk. Yep, Billy Joel. And I think Janie doesn't really get the aha correct for this intro either, does she? It's more of a aha. Uh-huh. Well, I think all the ahas it, it, the, that is again a bit of a running joke that most of them right, don't yeah. land. It's yeah. almost like they found they've tried to find. Well, I guess it's what six times three, eighteen different ways that you can get an <laughs> aha wrong. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, there's some very surreal conversation about how to get to Bloomingdale's in New York. Uh, it's very weird. Seemingly passage. completely unrelated as well to what she's sort of here to discuss. Yeah, but that's because obviously Alan thinks merely by talking to her that he's instantly hypnotized, which is why he's asking all these questions. What next? Where do I go? And it's like, why are you talking like that? Yeah. Also, uh, it's it sort of shows the fact that he went on a trip to New York, but he still doesn't know what Manhattan is. Yeah. Um, which is yep. makes you wonder what he did while he was there. Well, did he even go? Unreliable narrator. Oh, yep. True. Um, you've got another back. Well, not a backhanded compliment. Basically, something that is not the compliment he thinks it is, where Janie says, I find you fascinating clinically. Alan says, thank you. <laughs> it's not necessarily yeah. a good thing, Alan. lot to unpick there yeah. in his character, and she can see it immediately. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then they start to go delving for the skeletons in his mind's curtain cupboard. And uh, Janie says, obviously, we don't have much time, so it's going to be a vague gesture towards it, um, which I thought, we, we see this happen so many times in this series. They don't have much time for any guest or for, you know, when you had the uh, relationship counselling in the previous week, it's like, you're trying to showcase something which is quite complex and perhaps quite a delicate process, but you've only got two minutes, so make it snappy. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's, a, there's a nice little nod to uh, the production staff having a, a joke at his expense as well when they ask him to put a peg on his nose uh, to prevent a nosebleed as part of the uh, <laughs> as part of the uh, hypnosis, which yes. is obviously not a thing. But yes. again, already seeing that the research uh, staff are having a, a joke at his expense. Uh, yeah. J- Jason and Lisa, I would presume, who obviously uh, crop up quite a lot and are quite prominent uh, in the uh, mock documentary at the end of the series as well. But the nosebleed thing is brilliant because obviously the Gibbons brothers have yeah. drawn that out yeah. and made that quite a prominent thing when it comes to the Eye Partridge book. So that's obviously what we're led to believe in the APU. That's something that Alan has always been quite uh, paranoid about, getting nosebleeds. It's also very interesting that, um, yeah, the researchers are, are fucking with him, uh, telling him that hypnotism causes nosebleeds. Then Janie explains, no, there's no way that that's true. But he keeps the peg on anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I think in part it's because he doesn't want to believe that his own staff are messing with him. He wants mm-hmm. to believe that actually it's, yeah. it's her. She's probably in the wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so we're taken back to uh, the image of an eight-year-old Alan on a cross-country run uh, where Stephen McCombs has stolen his shorts <laughs> and is calling him Smelly Alan Fartridge, which, as we know, goes on to be referenced uh, time and time again, including being the name of an entire chapter in I, Partridge. Yeah, and this is the first Stephen McCombs mention, of course, as well. What I found quite interesting about this bit is that um, uh, eight-year-old Alan is at uh, a place called Tandall Hill, there isn't one in Norfolk, I did look it up, but there is one near Oldham. But possibly more interesting is that it's only 15 minutes away from a place called Middleton, which is where Steve Coogan was born. So I wonder if that's a little, oh, little yeah. nod to, to Manchester or a little nod to mm. sort of his home turf there. Um, and then when we get to the end of this little uh, hypnotic episode, Alan refuses to go back to present day Alan. He's enjoying <laughs> being an eight-year-old too much. He says, nobody listens to Radio 4. I want to be on the telly. Uh, yeah. So obviously we know that that's true and yep. that he does get his wish to an extent. And Alan says that McComb uh, drives a forklift truck for British Leyland. That does actually uh, that does actually um, line up in, in I Partridge as well. McComb worked for several years in the warehouse of British Leyland before a back injury scuppered his forklift truck driving days. He now lives on disability allowance in Edgebaston and has gained a lot of weight. No prizes for guessing which of us is smelly now. Yeah, that, that's brilliant. It, the, the consistency they brought through because... Yeah, even in uh, this radio show, he's saying he lives in Edgebaston. He's got a pathetic life. I've parked my car outside his house. I've watched him come and go. Um, and it's, yeah, again, it's kind of alluded to in I Partridge that Alan basically sits outside his house watching him. Well, no, there's um, yeah. the bit where he's claiming disability benefits. Yes. And uh, Alan says uh, something along the lines of, so bad is his disability that he can only manage three games of temp in bowling a week. <laughs> a fact that may or may not have been recorded by my, my assistant. Yeah. The, the other line I pulled out from I Partridge about Stephen McCoon was, um, he could afford to lock around in class. So certain was his fate as a manual worker. The divergence between our two lives, mine successful, his pathetic, <laughs> is best illustrated on our choice of garden furnishing. I've enhanced my lawn with a rockery. McCombe has chosen a broken washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> I also love in this passage that he's describing Stephen McCombe's life as pathetic, but it becomes apparent that Alan's spending yeah. his life <laughs> yeah. parked outside his yeah. house watching him. But it is also, it is quite fascinating that kind of like these sort of tiny little uh, seemingly throwaway characters are then built into this ever expanding mm. universe that, you know, years and years down the line, they become part of this much wider story and they've taken really kind of small pieces of essentially throw away you know character insight and just built it as part of this much bigger world that alan inhibits there's brilliant consistency with the detail even just use of the word pathetic you've got in yeah. knowing me knowing you in 1992 and i partridge in 2011 mm. he's describing mccoom as pathetic mm. there and then it's i i mean yeah arguably it's quite an easy thing to do all the gibbons brothers need to do is look at everybody word and go right what are the key words but the fact that they have bothered to do that it's creating really rich layers to the character and mm -hmm. i think it's a point you were making in the previous episode alan where Alan? <laughs> He's here. He's here. Adam, 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 Adam. My name is Adam. <laughs> Adam Partridge. Where, where they could have they could have cashed in on uh, Alan so easily with like, you know, books that were cheap to make, easy to produce and probably would have sold loads. But what they chose to do was detailed, thorough kind of research and really kind of build out the story. I just think it's testament to um, what the Gibbons have done with the character. Interestingly, the idea, the concept of like a cash-in book, which could be that kind of thing where it's just a few like letters and memos and things like that you actually do see a few examples of that in the every every ready word book where they've got kind yeah. of like green room studio instructions and things like that and some of it is quite good content but you know they've only done a few inserts between original scripts yeah and the they've never made a whole book like that no the scripts are still the bulk of that yeah, thing it's yeah. just it's bonuses although I mean, arguably is a script book quite an easy cash in <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I guess every ready word is the closest they've come, but even yeah. so, it's still serious work rather than yeah, just I guess, kind of frivolous it, bits and, and pieces. And at the time it was published, you know, the internet was still not the widely used thing that it is now. So with Partridge being such a beloved thing that I, you know, there clearly would have been a demand to be able to access the scripts. I also think over the years it's quite impressive that they fleshed out characters like Stephen McCombs mm. and Pete Gabatas and Carol, mm. people that you actually, when you think about it, have never really seen or heard on screen and that's the beauty of it. I mean, I think that that is something that happens in a lot of very successful sitcoms and you've got people like um, like Meris in Frasier and people like that. Like, yeah. like yeah, really yeah. well-written, interesting characters or even kind of just funny one-dimensional characters that are always kept off screen. And I think there's, there's a lot of them in the APU and it, it, it really benefits from it. And obviously, Stephen McCoom is actually a very integral character to the APU, even though he's never seen. It's the bullying from Stephen McCoom that is the genesis of Alan's obsession with his cleanliness, of course, Mm -hmm. which is a very important uh, character trait throughout the APU that we see. Um, This section, just going back to uh, him talking to Janie Katz, has gone so badly that she now feels she has to defend her book against the segment that's just happened to promote it, (laughs) saying, promising viewers that it won't make you this aggressive. Um, Her her book's called The uh, The Future Is Behind You, and yeah, she spends the, the closing moments of her appearance sort of begging people not to judge the book on what's just happened. Yeah, and Alan's really just not not taken anything seriously on board. He he just thinks it's all this kind of fun performance hypnotism, which is like the Tony Lemesma people on all fours barking like dogs and stuff like that. Where he's like, one for the Christmas stocking, hypnotize your friends, and she's really at pain. So I'm like, no, no, it's not. That's not what it. That's not what yeah, it's for. She's a hypnotherapist, not a hypnotist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess. It, yeah, so that's the sort of thing Alan like has hasn't grasped yeah. anything in, in his world there's no difference he's, he's learnt, expecting people yeah. to be eating onions and barking like dogs and <laughs> yeah. doing stupid things <laughs> like know, that. he's had a guest on his show and he's learned nothing about what they do yeah and he's also like even when he's been corrected he's just so dismissive because he's just wanting to wrap up and get on to the next guest and and yeah he's taken nothing from the experience he's like slap it on top of stephen hawkins book on your coffee table and impress your friends Speaking of which, the next guest, order, order, silence in court. My next guest says things like that because he's a lawyer. Obviously, the joke there, a judge <laughs> says those things. Does, yeah. Not a lawyer. Uh, do you want to get to know him? And then there, again, there's another spurious bit where he basically crowbars in voulez-vous from ABBA as, as, as his proposed entrance music. But then a shock in the APU. Uh, you don't hear an ABBA song. You hear I Fought the Law by The Clash as his next guest enters. Uh, the only non-ABBA song used so far, but uh, famously recorded by The Clash. But did you know it was a cover? I did not. There you go. So it was written by Sonny Curtis of The Crickets, which was uh, Buddy Holly's band, uh, and popularised by another cover uh, by a band called The Bobby Fuller Four, which went on to become a top 10 hit uh, in 1966, and then was also famously recorded by The Clash. So obviously, I think everyone probably assumes that that is a Clash song, but no, it's a cover. I didn't know that. Actually. Mm. There you go. And it is, am I right in saying there are only two songs used in this whole series that aren't ABBA songs? You've got The Clash, and later you have Phil Collins' uh, coming in the air tonight yeah and there's it's some two, there's some it? which are just generic just walk like on music yeah yeah, yeah yeah um so yeah the clash is played and then alan stops the show doesn't doesn't style it out <laughs> there's been a dreadful error here <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah it emerges that effectively it's his it's his next guest's insistence that they play that song because he's a renegade he breaks all the rules um and uh, that's why he's on i suppose i was i was interested whether anyone knows if this is based on anyone in particular i mean no, no one that I no. could kind of... Were there, no were there rock and roll lawyers in the early 90s I did, that got invited onto chat shows? I don't think so. I mean, I did do some... Uh, I didn't include it in my notes and it's not worth sharing, but I did look on YouTube for like rapping lawyers and there is one <laughs> guy in America and it's just, it's not that good, so it's not worth sharing. Yeah. But like, there are some people who do rap in court and it's just like, oh, fuck So I think they're, they're not all directly drawn on real no. life people. I think, there's, you know, there's probably like... 
there's probably at least one character per episode which is either based on somebody that is essentially a real life person or a character that you then see repeated in the the television version in a way but yeah they don't they don't all they don't all have parallels i guess um i did think with nick ford it was interesting that in the, the first few uh lines of his script he says kind of cool thought would be cool yeah cool so they're Nick, lining him up to be quite instantly dislikable yeah, because definitely. he thinks he's so cool yeah, yeah. yeah. um alan uh, decides he's going to sack the sound guy as a result of this mix-up of the clash being played <laughs> uh, and that then tries to attempt the music himself uh which is something oh, yeah. we've obviously seen elsewhere in, in his kate bush medley for mm. comic relief in uh carly simon uh, in i'm alan partridge him him trying to kind of recreate songs that he wishes had been played um and uh, yeah, yeah, this is a good example of, of one of the guests where we're clearly supposed to be on Alan's side uh, and Alan usually gets to kind of undermine them, expose something that like undoes their credibility or their mm. persona. Uh, and that's kind of what happens here. Um, does anyone have a list of the four crazy things that this uh, lawyer has done? I, th- I think I've got it. Go on. So, Absailed into court. That's one. <laughs> uh, did a partial strip. Yes. Simulated a heart attack. Yes. And wrapped his summing up statement. That's the four. There we go. Yep. Um, is anyone going to wrap the statement? I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just one line. Yeah. yeah. That's just a bit of it. Um, I love that there's a section here where Alan is genuinely baffled at the idea that the police could ever arrest an innocent man. Um, and even when talking about people who've been exonerated, Alan can only admit that, well, they're innocent now. <laughs> so yeah. the idea is if you're arrested, you're guilty immediately. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. only if you're later exonerated that you become innocent, but you were still guilty before. Yeah, and we saw that in this time where he, he calls uh, a lot of the police his friend. He's very much on the side of the police, isn't he? Mm-hmm. There's a great bit of script just before the, uh, just before that. Um, where you can you can basically see the gag coming before Alan does. So again, that thing, the listener and the audience, you're essentially allowed to arrive at the punchline before Alan realises what's happened. So um, when he's talking about uh, he got five years, well, good for you. No, I was defending him. I lost the case. Like you, you know, the way it's all, the way the script is set up, you you can see that's where it's gone. But obviously, mm. Alan in the APU. He's a he's a he's a couple of steps behind us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, we kind of get into a bit of a free for all at this point, where yeah. basically it's almost like a contest between everyone on the show of who can be the biggest shit, isn't it? <laughs> like, suddenly, the lawyers trying to represent Simon Fisher against Alan, but it turns out that Simon's dad is homophobic, so he wouldn't want to hire him. And, and yeah, there's a lot of your lot, your sort. Yeah, yeah. it turns out that yeah, Simon Fisher's dad is homophobic, and Alan immediately yeah. wants to go for a drink with yeah, him. He loves that. Yeah. 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 It seems as well, like at one point, it's very close to all of Alan's guests basically ganging up on him. And I think they've invented Simon's dad's homophobia as almost a bit of a tool in the in the narrative here just to stop everybody from kind of mm. coalescing against Alan. Yeah, it gets a little bit out of control, doesn't it? With kind of everyone sort of shouting over everyone. I was going to say there are some actually some quite interesting switches back and forth because you, you have Nick Ford says you're not normal, you're a freak. And then actually Alan slightly comes to Simon's defence there saying, oh, come on, like Nick Ford's gone too far, even though Alan hit him earlier <laughs> yeah. in the show. Uh, my favourite bit that, uh, of, of shouting in this exchange is where uh, Alan shouts at someone, it's not a tawdry show, and then someone says, it is. It is. And Alan goes, they all say it is. And then Alan goes, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and I, I like as well, it's tied up quite nicely that uh, Alan finally gets who versus whom, right? All the way yeah. through this episode, he's been trying to outsmart uh, Simon, but but hasn't managed it until now. Do you uh, think he's going out on a limb here? Do you think he's just, he doesn't actually know, but he's just going, oh, yeah, th- chancing th- it. This is absolutely yeah, a broken a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> if he says whom often enough, he'll get it right. And then uh, the end result of that obviously, is that Simon wets himself. And I, I think the way that script develops is a great one, two, three. You've got, I've wet myself, daddy. 
Oh dear. And on that bombshell. Yeah. And also, also, and on that bombshell, I now, Alan Partridge, dry as a bone, <laughs> say knowing me, knowing you. And then we're at the end of the show. There's um, some great descriptions of his guests as well. So it's Janie Katz, mad hippie, <laughs> Nick Ford, queer lawyer, Simon Fisher, wet boy, and his dad, which is a nobody. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I think those are ex- some extremely disparaging summarizations. I wonder, did. Did do, do his summarizations get worse with the guests as the series goes on? I mean, that's pretty bad. Yeah. To be fair. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's called uh, the um, what was what's her name in episode one where he called her a mad old trout. Ali Tennant. Ali, yeah. Ali Tennant, kind of a mad old trout. And then um, yeah, even, whether you like Nick Ford or not, he is still now called a queer lawyer, which is which is not cool. Well, that that's that's an note I had. Was it when when Nick Ford starts? dissing Simon and Alan actually comes to Simon's defence. Is that because in Alan's mind, he'd rather defend a child he hates than uh, back up a gay man's viewpoint? <laughs> it's quite yeah, possible, maybe. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I th- yeah, he's There's just, a lot going on there. His mind's doing a lot of uh, unethical calculations in the moment. Isn't and it? this does become, I mean, this is where, you know, it's radio and obviously on, on TV it would become a bit more apparent, but um, Nick is wearing a blouse, right? Yes. Made by yeah. his they, friend. They, they talk about that at length, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so that that would obviously be a visual joke that they have to kind of explain um, mm. to, to the audience to sort of, I guess, back up some of that uh, uh, that joke itself. When he does summarise the guests by saying things like "wet boy" and stuff like that, <laughs> I mean, that's obviously a joke in its infancy. By the time we get to know me, knowing you, TV, I think those descriptions are much more well rounded. They've mm. obviously been through more changes, and they're and they're funnier as a result as well. Oh, also, uh, Alan in the TV show is not dry as a bone, is he? There's an episode where he wets himself. When he's on the uh, spinning wheel with uh, Tony Lemesbo. Oh. Oh, yeah. I'm wet, I'm wet, my trousers are wet. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's that's, a, that's that... a really, really interesting point. Yeah, I hadn't it's thought about quite that. quite a nice bit of mirroring, yeah. yeah. So yeah. The, the hypnotist episode here, he causes someone to wet himself. Yeah. The hypnotist episode on TV, he's the one that does it. Mm. Yep. Yeah, 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 that's very nice. Very nice. Mm. Um, I think the other... The other <laughs> <laughs> Stab, well done. You've done some lovely research. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I had one more point, which, again, it's, it's quite an obvious character trait, which we, we will have referenced in the past, but... The, the the idea that not broadcasting is essentially the worst thing that, yeah. that could ever happen to Alan is a trait we see displayed throughout the output of the APU. But, you know, when you've got the conversation with him and Nick Ford and Nick saying, these people will see you, you'll never broadcast again. Long pause. Where did you get your shirt from? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it goes all the way through the APU, right up to him having the photo of, of well, him justifying the photo of himself on Jed Maxwell's telly as being so he's always on the mm. telly. <laughs> yeah. And I, I guess it, maybe it's this show is the first explicit line of him saying, I want to be on the telly. Mm. It's the, it's, which, again, again it, it pays off really well that they're kind of queuing that up from from the outset that he it's a character who's obsessed with broadcasting on television that's the ultimate aim that that's what his career trajectory is all about well yeah it, as mentioned before in, in i partridge when he gets the call from the bbc he assumes it's tv but yes. it's yeah, actually yeah, radio yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and when lynn sets up the meeting for him he assumes mm. that he's going to he's mm. going straight in at a high level and he <laughs> yeah. it's a <laughs> nomad day. right yeah yeah um so on that urine soaked bombshell uh, that's the end of this week's episode of uh, monkey tennis if you'd like to get in touch with questions queries or thoughts about knowing me knowing you radio or anything in the apu it's the partridge pod at gmail.com facebook.com slash the partridge pod twitter at the partridge pod instagram at monkey tennis pod and the monkey tennis hotline is open for your voicemails on 07923 we'll be back with episode three of knowing me knowing you radio uh, until then thanks for listening please like please subscribe please rate us on itunes we really do appreciate it. Thanks and goodbye. I've wet myself, Jed. <laughs> Welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing You, Knowing Me, Alan Partridge, Knowing You, the audience. I've got a hit on my hands. 
Monkey tennis? Was that good therapy or balmy old cack? Conrad Knightsoft. Monkey tennis? I'm Alan Partridge. Why are you fucking Lots of meaty chats. Monkey tennis? I just want you to admit that you hate Les Dennis. What is it? What is it? What is it? Monkey tennis? Okay, I'm in Manhattan. What do I do now? You are a little shit. Monkey tennis? That in England is a whore. I've taken drugs! Lord Morgan. If you speak again, I'll physically hit you. And on that bombshell... Monkey tennis? Thank goodness it's radio. I never thought I'd say that. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.